Praise the Lord. <clears throat> um, I'm going to be very delicate, as, as delicate as I can this morning in the message, but just as a disclaimer, if you have children, sometimes you're talking about booger men and stuff, it can be a little bit scary for kids, you know, so just be mindful of that. Um, I don't know this message is appropriate for young, young children, young years, so uh, you may want to, um, well, we've got a wonderful children's ministry, if you want to uh, take advantage of that, you're certainly invited to do so. Uh, why don't you take your Bibles out, if you would. I'm going to be in the book of 1 John this morning to start out with. John was one of the apostles. He was believed to be the one that referred to as the beloved apostle. Uh, the Last Supper, he lay his head upon Jesus' shoulder, you know, and he, and he uh, Jesus, he was one of the younger of, of the apostles. And he wrote, actually, the gospel, according to John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's different than the other apostles, uh, other the Gospels in that uh, Matthew d depicted Jesus as the king of kings, you know, and Luke, he was, the, he was all man. Even though he was God, he was a human being in the flesh, you know, and then um, Mark depicts him as the servant of men. But John, John depicted Jesus as God. He was deity. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was Almighty God, just in keeping with what the prophets had said, Isaiah said he should be called the counselor, the prince of peace, the everlasting father, the almighty God. And so John depicts him as, in his deity. And then later on, he is given the revelation. In one place, Jesus says, these things are not going to happen. So there's some standing here that's not going to taste death until they see these things happen believe that he was referring to John because John saw these things in the revelation. He was given the revelation, the last book of the New Testament, the revelation of Jesus Christ. But he also wrote the epistles of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Uh, the epistle just means a letter. And so he's writing this letter in 1st John. I'm going to read from the uh, New King James Version this morning, 1st John chapter 1, verse 1, and it says, that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and be bear witness and declare to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Verse three, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy might be full. This is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you that God is light. Say that with me. God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. Church, when you turn the light on, darkness can't stay. When you turn the light on, darkness dissipates. It flees. It has to go. All right? And there's no darkness in him. Verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, in other words, if we're practicing the things of darkness and we say we're, we're in Christ Jesus, we're walking with God, he says we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light 
As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, 1 John chapter 2, you see, we put chapters and verse divisions in Scripture, but in his letter, it's continuous. All right, so it continues right on into verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, my little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the whole world. Hallelujah. Now, you've got to understand, when John is writing this, at this point in time, there's only a handful of people that's in the light. When he talks about this is not just for us, but it's for the whole world, the whole world is in darkness. It's not like today where we have Christian influence around the globe. No, it's in one little spot on the globe and there's only a handful of people that's walking in the light. But the whole world has access to that light. Are you with me? Say amen. amen. All right. So understand what he's saying here. Verse three, now by this we know, uh, by this we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments, he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. And by this, we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. That's a big order. Amen. Come on. This is his word, though. If you say you're in him, you should walk just as he walked. Verse 7, brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away. What's he talking about? The whole world is in darkness, but that's getting ready to change, John is saying. The darkness is passing away because up until this point, the whole world has lived and is living in darkness. But the light of Jesus Christ is getting ready to shed abroad across the globe. Remember he told him in the day of Pentecost, you receive power to be witnesses unto me into Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That was the first time that had happened in human history over 4,000 years. Nobody had that power. Now they do. All right? <clears throat> then we go to, he said, the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. In other words, it began to shine on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God was imparted into the hearts and lives of men. Then verse John chapter five, skip forward, he says, verse 18, we know that whosoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God 
keeps himself. Come on, we have, to t- we have a part to play in this. If you're born of God, you keep yourself, all right? He keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. All right, here's a question. What if you don't keep yourself? All right, if I'm walking in a Christian walk and disciplining myself, I am learning his word. I am working at keeping it. James says, be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. I'm hearing his word, and as best as I can, I'm doing it. Now, that doesn't mean we will be perfect. Nobody is perfect. But when we sin, he said, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he's faithful, and he's just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us. All right, we probably each need to do that on a daily basis, to be honest, all right? But if I'm keeping myself, I am, the, the apostle Paul, he said, I buffet my body to keep it under subjection lest I preach to others and I myself become a castaway. We are a walking, we are, and the Christian life is a walking death walk. He said, Jesus said this, If you're going to come after me, you have to take up your cross daily and follow me. The cross is a place of crucifixion. I've got to take this old man and nail him to that thing every day because of the things that's in my life. It's like, I want to get it right today because if I keep myself, the wicked one cannot touch me. But if I just live any old way, I am opening the door saying, devil, come on in because he can touch me because I am not keeping myself. Are you hearing this church? So important that the church today hears this. I'm not talking about CVAG. I'm talking about the church around the world. Now, verse 19 says, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. All right, now in the time of John, when he's writing this, as I said, there's only a speck of light on the, on the globe, and it's in the apostles. And then the 120, then 3,000 added to the church, and then daily as the Lord added. All right, And it begins to spread. But at this time, the rest of the entire world is lying in darkness under the sway of the wicked one, he says. <clears throat> Verse 20, it says, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. And then he says something that is very, very interesting. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Isn't that interesting that he would just throw that in there after saying all of that? He didn't just throw it in there. It was inspired by the Holy Spirit to be put in there and put in there for a reason. Let's pray. Father, the church needs your presence today, Lord. The church around the world, God. We need, Father, to let your light shine like a bright light once again, Lord. Because, Lord, we are seeing again today, Lord, that the world is under the sway of the wicked one and darkness is pervading God. But Lord, the light of Jesus Christ drove it out once before and God, we know for a fact that it can drive it out again. So Lord, we pray that the church will rise up and do what you sent us here to do, Lord, 
to be a light unto the world. So God, I pray that you anoint us today. Lord, anoint the word. God, let the anointing of the Holy Spirit come upon me to preach your word with accuracy and with truth, Lord. God, help me to be an encouragement to the body of Christ today. Lord, for I came not to condemn anyone, God, because you didn't come to them, but you condemned, but you came that we might be saved. So save us today, Lord, and teach us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, in this letter, John makes a connection between the evil one and idols. Because, see, every idol that men set up, it was just something carved of stone or wood that spoke not, it heard not, it was not able to move or do anything. But behind each of those was a demon spirit, a principality or some wicked force or power that was behind each of those idols. And the influence of those idols is... is, Even though the idol is not around anymore, that demon spirit didn't go anywhere. Are you hearing me? They're still here. Those demon spirits have always been here. Now, Genesis 5, 6, we see the first time we see uh, idol worship. It was actually the third son removed from Adam. Adam had a son named, well, of course, Cain and Abel. Cain rose up and killed his brother Abel. All right. Then after that, he had another son named Seth. And Seth had a son named Enosh. And Enosh and his descendants began to worship idols. And and the reason that they did that, because they didn't realize that, see, they, they, they were aware of the spirit realm. And they, I don't know if they heard voices, if they actually saw manifestations of spirits or whatever, but they knew that they were there. And so they begin to look at the celestial things like stars, the the sun, the moon, the stars, and spirit beings, and they thought that they were intermediaries sent from God. And so they begin to show honor to them. Just like if a king were to send his representative to you, you would show honor to that representative because he was sent by the king. So it wasn't necessarily that they were doing something intentionally evil, they believed that these beings were sent by God. And so they began to respect them. And then they formed the belief because Satan is the deceiver, all right? He is an imitator. He is a counterfeiter. And so he wants to imitate him and his minions as the angels of the Bible says he comes as angels of light. And so he's deceiving the men into believing that they are actually intermediaries sent by God and that they are to be revered and honored and respected. Then he taught them that God created it all, then he just turns it over to them, and he stepped back, and he had no longer had any uh, influence or interaction in the affairs of men. And so God turned it over to them, so they rightfully thought that it was appropriate to erect idols to these celestial beings and to worship them. And they did it out of a selfish motivation that they could receive prosperity and blessing. That they would receive a good harvest or different things like that. And so that attitude and that form of worship began to prevail throughout all humanity. We see it in the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel was nothing more than a shrine built to the many, many gods. One of which was Allah the moon god. You know, and at one time, all the people there were polytheistic, meaning they worshiped many gods. And then at one point, they, the, the, the Islam faith, for example, said we no longer worship all the gods, but we worship just one, Allah. And so all of that, it, it, it began 
back right after creation. I mean, three people from Adam, all of a sudden they've, they've got their eyes off of Jehovah God and started worshiping all of these other gods. Now behind them, all were demon spirits. Are you with me? Say amen. amen. All right, so idol worship began uh, from Genesis and it continued from Genesis all the way until the time of Jesus. And so when the disciples begin to preach the gospel, they were the ones that is carrying the light. And that's what John was alluding to in verse eight, chapter two, verse eight. In first John, he says, again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true of him and in you because darkness is passing away. The reason darkness was passing away is because those who were bearers of the light was coming on the scene. And when you step up on the scene, friend, and you turn on the light, the darkness has to go. And so he said the darkness, he said it is passing away because the true light has come. And then he said in verse 5, that's what he meant by verse 19. He says, and we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. That's what he's talking about. All of humanity were worshiping idols. They were worshiping demons and didn't realize it was demons that they were worshiping. All they know is they're worshiping this idol called Baal, this one called Molech, this one called Asherah, and they believed that they were actually good things sent from God. And they were rightfully to be given honor. And that they were placed there by God to conduct the affairs of men. Verse 20 says, and we know that the Son of God has come and he has given us an understanding. So now, not only is the light, the light's in them, but the light's going off up here for them. It's like that, that is idol worship. Which it went off in the, in the minds of the prophets because the prophets condemned idol worship throughout the whole Old Testament. But they were walking in darkness. They, they couldn't hear it or, or receive it. Because the children of Israel would continue to go back and worship idols even though they had seen God deliver them and do great things. They would be influenced by the world. A lot of times out of the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. The things that draws us away from God. Then he tells us in Friend 21, he said, little children, keep yourself from idols. Now, when Jesus ascended, he left 120 people on earth that had the light. Started out with just 12. One of them became a demon, Judas Iscariot. So now you've got 11 people that's carrying the light. And then on the day of Pentecost, 120. As soon as they received the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter went out and preached and 3,000 was added to the church. So now you got 3,120 lights shining in a little place called Jerusalem. And it's getting ready to spread throughout the whole globe. And it took a long time for it to get there and it's still spreading in some places. There's still places that hasn't heard the name of Jesus. Can you believe that? Still hasn't heard the name of Jesus. I'm a So man has lived in darkness since creation for over 4,000 years at this time. Now, in Old Testament time, man had no power over evil spirits. 
See, the only thing that you could do with people were, were, were in the demoniacs or whatever, that God would send in judgment and he was to go kill everybody in the city. Because he gave in the garden, he told men, he said, you have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every creeping thing. He gave man dominion and power over the natural realm, but he didn't give him power over the spirit realm. So when, a, when a, a civilization or a group of people became completely demoniac, the way God would deal with it was annihilation. Because if it was allowed to continue, it would find its way into the Jewish people and it would, it would jeopardize what he was doing in keeping a pure and holy people up until the time of Jesus. And so that's the way that he, he, he dealt with it in the Old Testament. They didn't have power over demon spirits. We know that David would play his harp and King Saul, who had an evil spirit, the spirit would depart from him. But he didn't have power to say, spirit, be gone, and it had to leave. What he was doing is he's worshiping God, and God inhabits the praises of his people. And when God's presence come in, the light came in, and the demons had to leave. But David himself had no authority to do that, you see. We know that God would demonstrate his power over demon spirits. We know that when Elijah called out the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asher and said, if Baal be God, then we'll worship him. But if God be God, we're going to worship him. And they built the altar. He said, let the God that answers by fire be the one that we worship. And they get up dancing and everything. And he's mocking them saying, well, cry a little louder. Maybe your God's going on a trip somewhere. And they're cutting themselves because demons want to destroy you. Are you hearing me? They want to hurt you. They want to cut you. They want to kill you. He came not to, but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He says, maybe he's gone to relieve himself. And so they, he's mocking them. And then finally, he calls out to God. God answers by fire. Then he kills. Huh? He can't cast the demon out of these 450 prophets of Baal. What does he do? He whacks them. And the 400 prophets of Asherah. And then Jezebel, whose prophets they were, said by this time tomorrow, Elijah's going to be like the prophets. And he ran away. And that's another whole sermon. But this woman, Jezebel, operated under that demon spirit. She actually operated under the demon spirit of Asherah. Asherah, the fertility god. And I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. That spirit is still around. We talk about the Jezebel spirit. It's not really Jezebel didn't die and leave her spirit on the earth. That spirit, the Jezebel spirit, when we say that, we're just simply referring to the same demon spirit that made her do the things she does still exists today. You can walk on, in, in any nightclub, you can go down on Trade Street and find it walking up and down the streets. It's everywhere. Same spirit, still working. You find it in churches. I'm not here to preach on the Jezebel spirit, but it's still around, church. Are you hearing Still around. Now, when Jesus came, for the first time in history, mortal man had been given the power over demon spirits. That's never happened in all of human history. Jesus told him in Luke chapter 10, verse 17, he said, in the 70 return. Now, what's happened? He had 70 disciples, not just 12 and he sent the 70 out two by two. He said, when you go, don't take any knapsack with you. Don't take any food with you. Wherever you go, if you go into a city, somebody invites you into your house, you come into the house. And if my peace is there, you stay there. If my peace returns to you, you leave. 
What did he do? He just gave them the spirit of discernment. You can discern whether the spirit is there or not, spirit of peace. He said, if the city doesn't receive you, you walk out in the middle of the city, you shake the dust off your foot as a testimony against them. And I say to you, it will be better for Sodom in the day of judgment than for that city. Any nation that rejects Jesus Christ, it'll be better for Sodom in the day of judgment than for that nation. Are you hearing me, church? America is, is on, it's on a bad path and it's up to you and I yeah. to be the light again. Yes. To overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. Do you have a testimony? Yes. Is Jesus real in your life? Did he do something in your life? Did he set you free? Yes. You don't need to know everything in the Bible. All you need to know is I was lost and now I'm found. Yes. Jesus found me and he set me free and what he did for me, he's not a respecter of men, he'll do it for you too. There's power in your testimony and there's light in it. Verse 17, he said that the seven to return with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They'd never seen anything like that before. They knew what demon spirits were. They were all over the place. The whole world is living in darkness. Demonic possession was common. It had power to throw children into the fire and to try to drown them. One man, they put chains on him and he would break the chains off. They couldn't restrain him, the madman of Gadara. We know that the seven sons of Sceva, seven men tried to cast out one demon out of one guy and one man beat seven men. I don't know if you know what that means. But the likelihood of one man beating up seven men is not very good. But the demon spirit in them, they had power, so they knew what demons were. What they didn't know and had never seen that they had authority over those demon spirits. That had never happened before. So they come back like, man, even the demons were subject to us in your name. And he said, I saw Satan cast from heaven like lightning from the sky. He said, but in this rejoice, not that the demons are subject to you, but rejoice rather that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Because it's not about you having power. It's about the fact that Jesus Christ is in your life and it's the light that's in you and his presence that's in you that gives you that power. It's not about you. Come on, it's not about you. If you happen to ever deliver somebody, don't go hanging up a shingle that I'm in the I'm an exorcist business now. So-and-so deliverance ministry. Because it's not about you. It's about the power that's in you. Jesus Christ. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. But then Jesus gives a stern warning in Matthew chapter 12. I want you to look at this. Now he's talking about not specifically an individual, but he's talking about a person that's been delivered from a demonic spirit. In verse 43, chapter 12, verse 43, it says, when a unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and he finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from whence I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. All right, so there's nothing bad in there anymore. But the problem is, there's nothing good in there either. It's just empty. Come on, if we, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. 
He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us. So you're forgiven, you're clean, but are you filled with his spirit? Is it just empty? Like, God, thank you for setting me free. He's like, yes, I set you free. You overcame by my blood, but what about your testimony? Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Or are you just glad that he set you free? Are you just trying to cut a deal with him? You want to get out of jail free card. I want my ticket to ride, but I'm not going to live for him. So the spirit comes back and he finds it clean, swept in in order. Verse 45, it said, then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits. The number seven is the number of completion. In other words, he completely in, uh, enters this man's spirit or the spirit of this whatever he's speaking of, a man, what he says a man. And, and he says he takes seven other spirits more wicked than himself. So I don't know how bad this first one was, but whatever he brings back is even worse still. And they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. And then he says something, get this, so shall it also be with this wicked generation. So it's not just talking about a man, it's talking about a whole generation of people. Now, exactly what is meant by generation is, is, it's up to debate, you know, it's speculative. But personally, I believe in dispensationalism. If you don't know what that is, it's just we, the, the, the affairs of man was broken into different time periods or dispensations. We are what, in what we call the dispensation of grace. Or the, the Bible calls it the time of the Gentiles. It's when God's favors on the Gentiles. It's this period of time that began at the day of Pentecost and will continue until Jesus comes and the trumpet sounds and we are caught up. That's the end of this generation in my mind. So during this entire time period, from the birth of the church until Jesus comes again, this generation... When his light has shone in the world and the darkness has been driven out and the darkness is gone, but he didn't come in. The house is empty. The world is empty. They've seen the light. They know that he set them free, but they didn't fill themselves with his presence. And the spirit that was driven out because when Jesus' presence came into the earth, idol worship stopped. All of the temples eventually closed up. They shut it down. There was no worshipers there. There was nobody because it was gone. Baal worship ended. Molech worship, all of it ended. But then when they come back, they're like, well, he drove us out, but he's not there. There's nothing there. It's empty. It's swept. It's clean. It's garnished. It looks good, but it's nothing there good. He's not there. And so they come back. And they bring seven worse than themselves in the state of that person and the state of that generation and the state of that nation will be worse than it was in the beginning. Are you hearing me, church? Scary to think about this. But God gave them understanding. And God wants us today to have understanding so that we know what we're dealing with. You are called to be a demon defeater. Huh? Now, we're not spiritual ghostbusters. We don't go out looking for demons, and we're not going to get into, ooh, demonology, and they're so big and bad. Because greater is he that is with you than he that's in the world. That's all you need to know about demons. 
Greater is he that's within you than he that is within the world. And so he said, this is the way it's gonna be with this generation. Now, just recently, and I, before I say this, let me say I'm not endorsing this man per se. His name is Jonathan Kahn. Anybody know who, who Jonathan Kahn is? Okay. I, I, I don't know that much about him. I know he, he, years ago, he wrote a book called The Harbinger. How many of you have heard of The Harbinger? All right. And it was a controversial book and, and it, it became a New York Times uh, bestseller and He's written like six or seven books since then. He is a Jewish rabbi. He, he grew up in Hebrew school, so he reads and understands Hebrew. He's a scholar. He pastored a church. He's actually been pastor, still pastors. He's been pastoring a church in New Jersey since 1988. He still pastors there. And he just recently came out with a book entitled The Return of the Gods. And uh, I haven't read it, but I've heard him teach on it several times. And he has some very, very interesting concepts that I happen to agree with. I, I don't necessarily agree with his, his associating the points that he's making directly with the United States. I don't think that it is associated directly with the United States. I think it's associated directly with all humanity. Because what we're seeing happening in our nation is not just happening here. It's happening everywhere. It's an epidemic around the world. The whole world at the time of John's writing was under the sway of the wicked one. The whole world was in darkness. Church, we're seeing that again. Come on, you read in the book of Revelation to the church, a letter to the church at Ephesus. It's not there anymore. It was in light, now there's darkness there. The church of Thyatira, the church of Smyrna, the church of Philadelphia, all, they're, they're gone. Places where the gospel went and the light came on, it's gone. There's darkness there now. In Turkey and in Syria and different places, places where Paul went and established the word, it's gone. They're in darkness again. So the light was there and now it's gone and there's nothing there but darkness. And so this thing is not just about the United States. I respect the man. I think his, I think his research is awesome. I think he's right on about the fact that these idols had a demon behind them. And he points that out. If you want to get the book and read it, I, I think he goes into a great deal of detail. Now, and he may be accurate on all of it. I'm just as doing this as a disclaimer. I, I, I found that a lot of times authors, they'll manipulate numbers and names and different things to try to support their position. And they kind of oversell their, their points they're trying to make. And he made lend that to do that a little bit, I think. But even if he does that, that doesn't mean that some of the research that he's found doesn't have merit because it does have merit. See, can I just say, we, we need to be careful that we're not guilty of the same thing that the cancel culture is guilty of. Right, so if, and I made this point before, but you might not have been here, so let me stress this. And I'm gonna stress it from time to time because it's important. If you teach something or believe something and 90% of what you teach, I agree with. You're right on. And not because somebody I respect did this the other day and I like, in my mind, I canceled him because he taught something. I'm like, how on earth did you arrive at that? Everything you've taught, I'm like, yes, amen, yes, I'm glad you're, and then all of a sudden he teaches something that's bizarre. I'm like, how did you arrive at that? You know, and all of a sudden he, nothing he says now matters. And I'm like, wait a minute. 
I'm doing the same thing that the cult, council culture is doing to us as Christians. Because if they don't agree with you and you don't believe what they believe, they just cancel you. Nothing you have to say matters. And so with him, even though I don't agree with everything, that doesn't mean that some of what he had to say has merit. And some of the things that he was pointing out is that in the Old Testament time, when the world was under the sway of the wicked one, there were, there were idols, and behind these idols were demon spirits. There was three he calls the unholy trinity. It was the worship of Baal, we call it Baal worship, who was the chief God of the, of the Canaanites. And he, he was actually, throughout the Old Testament, you see it repeatedly, the children of Israel guilty of Baal worship. They did it when they came out of Egypt. They made a golden calf. I mean, Aaron said, they brought me the gold, Moses, and I threw it into the fire, and out comes this calf. Oh, sure. I'm sure Moses bought that one, right? And so they're worshiping Baal or Baal, and that was predominant throughout the Old Testament. And that was one of the, one of the, the pagan gods. Now, his work is and was and is to remove God from the public eye. He wants to replace God. And to replace God, you've got to take him out of the way first. And so his goal is to take him out of the public eye. And he has taken God out of the public eye in America. He has successfully done that, church. He first did it in the textbooks in school. God's got to come out of the textbooks. The educational system in America was founded and taught, it was founded and taught by the clergy. Yeah. It was pastors that started the educational system in this country. Yeah. And they taught from the word of God. That's how they educated you. That's how we learn reading and writing. One of the first books, famous books, that was used in the educational system was called the McGuffey Reader. Let me read, read you a little bit about who this man was, McGuffey. Williams Holmes McGuffey. As a child, he was, uh, he was raised up on a farm, and he would buy every book he could get his hands on. He would buy it and read it. If he couldn't buy one, he would borrow one, and he would handwrite in long handwriting and copy those books. He became a public educator himself when he was 14 years old. Because this smart young man, he loved education. The historians pointed out <clears throat> that reading a McGuffey reader was more like reading a theological textbook than a children's elementary school book. Theology. Theology means the study of God. Theo means God, all right? Theology means you're studying God. So reading his book was like you're studying more about God than about elementary education. Concerning his, his uh, reader, the, the McGuffey reader, it was noted that, quote, from no other source has the author drawn more uh, copiously in his selection than from the sacred scriptures. For this, he certainly apprehended no censor. In a Christian country that man is to be pitied who at this day can honestly object to impewing, that means inspiring the minds of youth with the language of the scripture and the spirit of the word of God. So in other words, he said, if I'm going to inspire young people, it's going to be from the scripture. 
He's also said concerning the, his third McGuffey reader, reader says, for the copious extracts made from the sacred scriptures, he made no apology. Indeed, upon review of the work, he is not sure, but an apology may be due for his not having still more liberally transferred into his pages the chase, uh, simplicity, and the thrilling photos and living descriptions and the overwhelming sublimity of the sacred writings. In other words, he said, I should have put more in there about God. I should have put pictures. I should have put more of his splendor, more of the simplicity of who he is. He said, the time has gone by when all sensible men will be found to object to the Bible as a school book. In a Christian country, unless it is purely on sectarian principles, which should never find a place in the system of general education, much less then can any reasonable objection be made to the introduction of such uh, extracts from the Bible as do not involve in any question, in debate among the various denominations of evangel evangelical Christianism, Christians, the Bible is the only book in the world treating the ethics and religion which is not sectarian. In other words, he said the only people that would disagree with this is people that disagree in their theology. But one thing all of the denominations agree on is the word of God. The one place that they're not sectarian means they're not separated. They're not in, separated into sex. That's what sectarian means. The place that they're not separated in different sects is on the word of God. They believe that that's the word of God. And so it should be allowed as a school book. See, this was the educational system in, in the time of our forefathers. But in the, in the late 50s and all, they said, we've got to take God out. I, I remember in elementary school, the Gideons coming around and giving me a New Testament. I remember that every week they would get on the PA system and read scripture and a student would open in prayer in my lifetime. But in 1962, they took prayer out of school. Huh? Baal. Are you hearing me, church? It's a demon spirit behind Baal that's got to remove God to place himself there. God's got to go. And if he goes, his word goes, he goes. And so they took it out of the, 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 the youngest among us. If you can get to, listen, I told you. When they legalized same-sex marriage, and let me just say, let, let, let me calm down a little bit and say, listen. I know there's some sitting here today. You have family members or loved ones that they are torn and in, in, in how their relationship should be among men and women, all right? I understand that. And it, it may grieve you. You may be good with it. I don't know where you are on that. But when I point out something that is contradictory to that, it's not because I am angry at them or I hate them or anything like that. In fact, it's just the opposite. I love them. Just like any person that is bound by the powers of darkness, I want to see any person that's bound by any power of darkness set free. And what I say, I say out of love and concern for them, not because I hate them, but it's doing them no favor to let them to continue in deception. So I say this because I don't want to see them continue in deception. But I told you the day that they legalized same-sex marriage, I said, you mark my word, they're coming after your children next. 
How many of you remember that? Mark my word, they're coming after your children next. Well, they've been coming after the children ever since they took prayer out of the school. They took Bible reading out of the school. Then it got so bad you couldn't wear witness wear. Then the nativity scene had to come down in public places. Then the Ten Commandments had to come off the walls of the courtroom. Then there were lawsuits to take down crosses in public places. One major political party in their convention voted not once but three times to take God out of their platform. Church, we need to get an understanding. That is Baal worship. It is the demon that was behind Baal that's got to remove God to place himself there is still at work. Why? Because he came to the country, he found it swept, he found it clean, he found it empty. And he came in and he brought others with him. And it's worse now than it's ever been. Are you hearing me, church? On that, I agree with Mr. Khan. It's at work. We're seeing it. We need to get an understanding of what we see and where it's coming from. <clears throat> then they're telling students, you can't pray at your baccalaureate service in the name of Jesus. One student was told, if you pray in the name of Jesus, we have officers there that will arrest you and take you to jail. She got up and proudly prayed in the name of Jesus that come and get me. But I will not deny his name. <clears throat> I don't do it in your face. I do it because he instructed me to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. <clears throat> and when it comes down to I obey your law or God's law, huh? what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do? Why were they thrown into the furnace? Because they would not bow down to an idol. Are you hearing me, church? Why was Daniel thrown in the lion's den? He wouldn't bow down to an idol. Why are we being persecuted? We refuse to bow down to the idol. Yes. The second one was Asherah, the unholy trinity. It was Baal, then Asherah. Asherah is the fertility goddess. She is the goddess of unbridled sexual expression. She was androgynous. Andrew, everybody say androgynous. Androgynous. She was the supreme goddess. I'll tell you what that means in a minute. Are you still with me? She was the supreme goddess of the Canaanites, and she was the female counterpart of a Baal. Now, this is coming from some of my research. The name and, and cult of the goddess were derived uh, in Babylon, uh, where she was called Ishtar, representing the evening and the morning star, and was accordingly androgynous. Adrugenus comes from the Latin word adrogen, and it has its Greek origin, and the Greek word is constructed of two words, adros meaning man, and june meaning woman. It describes a mix of male and female physical characteristics. Does that sound familiar to you? Wow. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. Under Semitic influence, however, she became solely female but retained a memory of her primitive character by standing alone among the goddesses on a footing of equality with that of male deities. In other words, she was a female with male characteristics. Ashtarah, she comes by many names, Ashtar, Estar, Easter, 
Don't get me started on that one. Bunny rabbits and eggs. What's that got to do with the resurrection? It's got a lot to do with fertility and the fertility goddess. I'll leave that alone and move on. But she is the God of transgender philosophy. Her priest were both biological women who were all prostitutes that worshipped her by providing services to any worshiper that came and requested it. Her priests were biological men. They were called quad, uh, quadashims, or in other words, sodomites. They provided the same services to anyone who came and desired it. According to Jonathan Cain's research, many of her priests had been surgically transitioned to appear as females. Her priests. They had public displays they called parades. Nothing new under the sun. Wow. Nothing new. They paraded up and down the street and they would assume the appearances of women wearing women's attire, jewelry, and makeup. These were men. Some who had been physically transitioned. As a Syrian fish god, goddess, she act, acts as a fertility goddess and is usually depicted as a type of mermaid. She's associated with the morning star, the evening star, and a mermaid. Have you ever noticed the logo on Starbucks? Just take note of it. I'm just saying. Interesting, isn't it? Jezebel had 450 prophets of Baal and she had 400 prophets to this goddess. And then the third of the, of the deities was Molech. Molech was a bronze statue. It had the head of the bull. These gods are somehow associated with the bull. They, the golden calf, the bull, Taurus the bull in Babylon, it's all associated with the demonic realm. And it is kind of another interesting fact that Jonathan Kahn pointed out is there is a big bronze bull in New York. What is that about? The people that put it there, he said, they don't know that, but that spirit did. When we talk about our economy, what do we say? It's bullish. And that's some of the wordplay that he does. I don't know if all that's legit or not, but it is interesting. But the god Molech was a bronze man with the head of a bull. He was made out of bronze. He had, they would, he had a big opening in, in his stomach where they would build a fire. And then he had compartments, seven of them. And when you bring an offering to Molech, depending on the value of it, would depend on which compartment they would put it in. One would be like a bird. The next one would be like a goat and then a bull or whatever. And if you brought a child, it went in the seventh one. It was the most, it was supposed to get the most power from Molech. And you see throughout the Old Testament, you shall not cause your children to pass through the fire to Molech. Because it was a, they would beat drums to drown out the screaming of the children. So they bring a child now, a little baby. That's why I say children, I'm gonna try to be. And they would offer it to this God Molech for favor, for financial favor, better crops or whatever, or blessings. Today, we see the convenience of abortion. It reduces the financial strain and the, on the parents, and it's uh, sometimes just for convenience. 
just for convenience. I can't go out and party in this condition. So I got to get back in shape so I can go party. It's convenient. This is inconvenient for me. Or it's going to cost me too much. There's nothing new under the sun, church. It's the same thing. And listen, God judged the children of Israel because they sent thousands of their children through the fire to Molech. America sent millions. Are you hearing me, church? Seven times worse. Sensual deviant behavior was the practice in the worship of all of these gods, all three of them. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 21. It says, you shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Molech, nor shall you profane the name of the, your God. I am the Lord. Now I'm going to let you read 22 and 20 through 24 yourself. I'm not going to read that. I, I prefer not to read it in the pulpit other than to say that it is a perversion. In verse 24, actually, it says, do not defile yourself with any of these things, for by these the nations are defiled, which I am casting out from before you. For the land is defiled. Therefore, I visit the punishment of its iniquity. What is he calling it? Defilement, iniquity upon it. And the land vomits out for any of these abominations, either any of those... Uh, of your own nation or any stranger. In other words, are you still with me? I don't want to put you to sleep here. But if you go to this scripture, there's people on the other side of this debate that's going to say, yeah, but it also said you're not to wear two different kinds of cloth at the same time. And you're not supposed to plant two different kinds of seeds at the same time. You're not supposed to cut your hair round on the corners. You're not supposed to shave your beard and all that stuff. It doesn't apply to us. It just applied to them. And all this deviant behavior didn't apply to two people just falling in love with each other and having a loving relationship. It only applied to worship to an idol. So to clarify that, I, I, the best article I've ever read, if you could put this up, you want to write this down. You can go to this website, Willie Honeycutt at Liberty University. He wrote an exhaustive article on that debate. And he presents both the revisionist view on their argument that this doesn't apply to us. It was only for a specific reason that this was written. In fact, God encourages the kind of relationship that we have. And they argue that they can prove that from Scripture. And then he gives the argument of the traditional position that this hasn't changed. And it's been what it means today what it meant then. And he goes on into the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, what he writes about this and what he wrote in the book of Romans. It is absolutely the best article and it will clarify that without any question of where God stands on the subject of human sexuality. You should read it. It's very, very long and exhaustive. He cites all kinds of scholars and, who weigh in on, it on both sides of the argument and then he concludes based on the Greek and the Hebrew of what it is actually saying. And it'll settle the question for anybody. It's irrefutable evidence on where God stands on that subject. All right. But God said in, in, in Leviticus that it's an abomination over and over again. Now, with all that said, when Christianity spread from 120 to 3,000 and daily as the Lord pleased, light began to replace the darkness. 
But as Jesus warned, if the spirit returns and finds that house empty, come on, when the lights have gone out or it's empty, you've been set free, but you haven't filled it with anything, that it's going to return. And I believe with all my heart, church, that that's what we're seeing happen today. We're seeing that the warning that Jesus gave us that it's going to return, it's going to be worse. The worship of Asherah, for example. Tell me how, and again, I love these people, don't get me wrong, but how can what used to be 2% of the population, gay and lesbian community, 2% of the entire population can pass into legislation on the media and corporations everywhere, everywhere around the globe laws that makes it illegal to speak out against them and they call it hate crimes. How can 2% of the population do that? That's impossible. That's not natural. It's spiritual. Hear me, it's a principality. It is the spirit of Asherah. She has returned with seven others more powerful than herself and it is spreading across the globe. I know a man that wrote just an article in his own website, on his own page, on his own social media, that the true meaning of the rainbow was God's covenant with man that he will never destroy the earth again with flood, which is right out of the book. He was called in and the vice president of the company, this is a major company, was in the room, said, if you write something else like that on your social media, we will fire you. How? It's a spirit, church. Hear me. It's a spirit at work. And we need to get an understanding of that. So casting out demons, it doesn't just involve an individual being delivered, although it does involve that too. And when I started this, it was a conversation Nathan and I was having. I said, 95% of the people in here will probably never encounter a demon spirit. If you did, you're not going to mess with it because you either won't recognize it or don't war. It's like, I'm not messing with that. So I don't know about teaching. And he said, well, it's like jujitsu. You may never need it, but it's nice to know it if you do need it. So I I chose to teach on this. I call it spiritual jujitsu. I don't know if that's a great, but he, he came up with it. Blame him. But we need to get an understanding about the fact that some, you may actually encounter somebody that has a demon spirit. And if it was prevalent in the age when darkness spread the world and it was common for people to be de- demon possessed, church, you're probably going to see more of it than you've ever seen before because we're sliding back into that same darkness and then people are opening themselves up to demon possession. And what I can say to you, I'm not going to get deep in demonology and how you cast them out, but it, you, you don't need to have a conversation with them. Only one time did Jesus said, who are you? And they said, we are legion for we are many. Otherwise, he'd just say, shut up and come out. I don't care what your name is. I don't care how you got there. All I know is Jesus came to set this person free and you got to come out. In Jesus' name, because he has given us authority. I give unto you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. When the 70 came back, he said, I give you power. That power came from me. 
I told you last week, serpents is a reference to cherubims. They're called flaming serpents. And he's talking about the fallen ones. I give you power over them. So if you ever encounter that, listen to me. And, and by the way, can I point out that 58 of those men walked away from Jesus. So it doesn't mean you got to have all that to have power over a demon spirit. Also among those 70 was Judas Iscariot who was casting out demons. Are you hearing me, church? It's not about you and your holiness. It's about him and his perfection. You've been given the name of Jesus. And if you come in contact with a demon spirit, just tell them to come out. Now, this is one tactic that I have learned over the years. Say if you encounter somebody that clearly it's a manifestation of a demoniac spirit, if you can get them to, sometimes they won't even look you in the eye. Am I right, John? And I'll say, look at me. And they'll look away because that demon don't want to look at you. It's the demons controlling this. I say, look at me, look at me. And if you know their name, let's say their name is Bill. I say, Bill, Bill, look at me, Bill, look at me, Bill. I'm not talking to the demon, I'm talking to him. I'm like, Bill, there's a demonic spirit here. Do you want it gone? Invoke your will. Bill, invoke your will. Invoke your will. What do you want? What do you want, Bill? Do you want it gone? If he just nods his head, I'm like, all right, the door's closed. You no longer have legal access to him. He does not want you. Come out. You've got to leave. Whatever door he might have opened is not up for discussion. I don't care what door he opened. He doesn't want you. Go. And they are subject to you. They have to go. I've only had a few encounters with demonic spirits. One, we was in a high school Right up here, we had had a, a concert. I brought a group called In for Life up. We rented the high school gymnasium, had one whole side of the gymnasium full of people. And they did this hip-hop rap stuff, which I wasn't into, but they, they did this thing. Uh, I got them into a pep rally during the day. The school allowed us to come in, and they did a non-drug, non-violent message. They didn't mention Jesus. And they say, Friday night, we're coming back. We're going to rent the gymnasium. Bring your family and come. And so we filled up one whole side of the gymnasium. Now the gloves are off. So they're not talking about drugs and violence. They're talking about Jesus. And they gave an invitation, and we estimated about 150 people raised their hand to receive Christ that night. And then somebody comes and gets me and says, Pastor, you need to get out here. I said, there's something going on in the lobby. And I go out there, and this little girl, her aunt's holding her, and she is, look what was having a convulsion. And I said, Lord, what is this, you know? And I knelt down to pray for her, and the spirit of the Lord quickened to me, it's a tormenting spirit. And so I just knelt down beside of her. And I got down next to her here. I said, in the name of Jesus, you will not make a show of yourself here. Tonight is all about glorifying Jesus. And it's not about glorifying you. In Jesus' name, let her go. And just like that, she relaxed in her aunt's arms. And I told her aunt, I said, it's a tormenting spirit. It was tormenting her. I said, but it's gone. I said, take her home, let her get some rest. You know, I didn't know what to do at that point because that's all I knew. Now, what I say to you, just to give you counsel, if you know how to do, if you ever encountered this, the house is now empty. Right, you kick the devil out, but don't leave it empty. Right, if I had to do that over again, I'd say, young lady, what's your name? I said, now, there was a demonic spirit harassing you, but he's gone, all right? 
but you need to fill that void with Jesus. Ask Jesus to come into your life to fill you to overflowing. All right, let's fill that void with the presence of God. That's all you really need to know about demonology and how to cast out demons. Just tell them to shut up and leave. Now, if, if you can get the person to invoke their will, it helps. If you can get the person to say, Jesus, help me. Jesus, set me free. That demon hears them saying, they're calling on Jesus. I can't stay here in him. They're not going to. Christians don't roommate with demons. You say, well, can Christians have demons? Absolutely not. I don't believe that for one second. The Holy Ghost is not going to be a roommate with a demon. Know you not that you're the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you. He's not going to pile up and roommate with a demon. Man. I don't even know where I'm at in my notes here. We're, we're talking. <laughs> Can I just throw out one more little tidbit here? Just to help you, just as for knowledge, for information. Same-sex attraction, we were talking about that. The American Psychiatrist Association, the APA, in 1952 said that it was a mental disorder. All right. And then it was challenged, it was debated. In 1973, they reversed that and said it's normal and it's natural. All right. But what is conveniently omitted from that is that 70% of the APA didn't even vote on that. Over 70% didn't even vote. Why? Because every time they would have a conference to discuss it, the gay activists would disrupt it, come in yelling and screaming and whatever and even threatening them. So 70% didn't even vote because they couldn't vote honestly their conscience for fear of their life. So the 30% that did vote carried a very slim majority to overturn their position on same-sex attraction. For the record, it's a mental disorder. It's not natural. God is not going to create you one day and then condemn you for that. It's just not going to work. It doesn't work that way. So let me wrap this up. When the church was born, idol worship was the order of the day. And as a result, 1 John 5, 16 says, the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. But the light of the church came in, and because of it, verse five, uh, chapter 5 of 1 John, chapter 20, chapter 5, verse 20, says the Son of God has come and given us an understanding. That understanding is that light drives out darkness. It drives it out. Idols disappeared from all of the temples. So let me say to you, church, if 120 people could turn the world upside down and turn the light on around the world and drive out the darkness, there's more than 120 of us today. All right? And in the world, how many Christians are they? Allegedly, I think some like, I don't even know what the percentage of professing Christians in America 
Maybe I should have done some research. It's, it's higher than 50%, I would say. Now, how many of them are actually Christians? I don't know, but they profess to be Christian. But the question is, if 120 could do it, surely the church today could do that. If they turn the light on and drive the darkness out again. If they did it before, we can do it again. But the question is, will we? Will the church do that again? I don't know the answer to that question. What I do know is the scripture says that some will depart from the faith in the last days, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. That's sad. Because you can't depart from something that you haven't first been a part of. Right? So he's talking about people in the church. They're going to depart from the faith. Why? Because they've given heed to these seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. They're going to wax worse and worse, the Bible says, deceiving and being deceived. But I sense that God wants to prepare us for the spiritual battle that the church is facing today. Because I don't believe the church is ready for this battle. But he does want to equip us. And the way he equips us is with his understanding. All right, now I was going to read this, and I'm, 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 I think I'm losing you, so I'm not going to read all of it, but... When you go into the army, they issue you the weapons that you need to do battle. The clothing you need and everything that you need to do battle. The Bible does too. We find it in Ephesians chapter 6 where he says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. He's talking about this is our enemy we're going against. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. And when you stand, stand having your loins girded about with truth. What is truth? The Bible says you should, uh, my word is truth. John 17, 17, my word is truth. All right. Having your loins girded about with, with truth. Having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the word of God. Hanging on the helmet of salvation. Well, what is the helmet of salvation? It's responding to the word of God. The breastplate of righteousness. All right. What is righteousness? Righteousness is us hearing by the word of God. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first, also to the Greek. For therein, what? Therein, what? Therein, the word of God is the righteousness of God revealed. So that breastplate is associated with the word of God, right? Taking the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So everything in that armament all points back to knowing what's in this book. Church, we cannot defeat the enemy if you don't know what's in this book. In the Bible, he, Paul tells us, study to show yourself approved. Don't just take it from Pastor B. The Bereans, the Bereans, when Paul would come and teach, the Bereans would listen to what he had to say, and then they would go back, take the scriptures, and search the scriptures to see if what he said was true. I challenge you, be a good Berean. Put what I say to the test. Go home and get your Bible and say, is that true? And search it out. For in it, we know that the word of God is true. And in that, we can combat the darkness. It was the word of God that brought forth the light. And it was the light that dispelled the darkness. And church, if, if the church of Jesus Christ today is going to dispel the darkness, they've got to quit twisting the word of God and get it in a studied and right divided. Because there's a lot of people that's twisting it to make it say something it doesn't say. Because if we learn it, we know it, 
we keep it, then it will give us the understanding that we need. He said, God gave us the understanding. Why? He said, because we were with him. We saw him. We experienced him. We knew him. And he gave us an understanding. So the more time we spend with him, and you're in the right place this morning, you should make it a priority every Sunday. Not because I'm just trying to get you behind in in the seat. I want you to learn this, right? I know that the head can only take what the seat can endure, so I'll try to be brief, but if you're going to stand in the evil day, you absolutely must have a working knowledge of the Bible. You just have to. It's the light of the world that drives out darkness. David said it this way, and I'm going to close with this. Why don't you stand with me as I read this? David said it this way in Psalms chapter 119, verse 9. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart, I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. You know, I, I'm going to stop right there because it just came into my mind. You know, in elementary school and in, in, in school, teachers used to lead students in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. It actually means the evil one. But thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory. And David says it this way, do not let, do not let me wander from your commandments. Verse 11, for your word I have hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. Church, you have to know it. You gotta hide it in your heart. Because when something's, when the counterfeit shows up, you know the counterfeit because you know the authentic. That's how you recognize a counterfeit. They say that's of God. Say, oh, no, that's not of God. I know what's of God, and that's not it. Your word, if I hid in my heart, then I may not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the ways of your testimonies as much as in all riches I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes and I will not forget your word. That was the end of my sermon this morning. I'm getting dressed and Matthew Hagee, that's Pastor John Hagee's son, who is now the lead pastor at Cornerstone Church where his dad pastored was preaching my sermon. He was using Psalms 107, and I said, I'm going to read that before I close. 107, verse 1 and 2, and verse 19 and 20. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. He said, you know, the world is in a mess, but you know how we get it back? The redeemed of the Lord has to stand up and talk. We have got to overcome by the word of the blood of the Lamb, but by the word of our testimony. We got to say so. Everybody say so. So. It's so. 
whom he has redeemed from the land of the enemy. Verse 19 says, and they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distress. He sent his word and healed them. The way he's gonna do it is through his word, us knowing it and applying it to our life, filling our hearts with it. He delivered them out of their destruction. It's his word. I believe we can turn the light on again. We may not turn America around, but everyone that I have an influence over, I want to be a light to them. And the way we do that, is there any redeemed people in the house? Come on, if you're redeemed, you need to let them know you're redeemed. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We need to overcome by the blood of the lamb. That's his part. He's already done that. And by the word of our testimony, He set me free, yes, he set me free. He broke the chains of prison for me. I'm glory bound, my Jesus, to see because glory to God, he set me free, the old song said. We need to let him know he set me free and he can set you free too. And whom the son sets free, brother, you are. Amen, amen. God save us, Lord. Lord, darkness is prevailing once again. God, we see it. Lord, you're giving us an understanding. Lord, may we know your word. God, may we apply it to our hearts, oh Lord. But God, may we also bring it out of our hearts. Lord, let it shine. Lord, that others can be brought into that glorious, marvelous light. God, help us not to be selfish as well. At least I'm on my way to glory and not care about somebody else. Lord, give us a heart for those that are in darkness, Lord. Now, Father, the word today, I I didn't mean in any way for it to be condemnatory for those that are in darkness, Lord. I know we're accused of being haters and judgmental and all that, but Lord, it's just the opposite. It's because we love those that are caught in bondage, that we tell them the truth. And God, you can change all of that. God, you can transform the hearts of people. You can change them completely. So Lord, I just pray in Jesus' name that you would just make this a revelation to our heart today, God. I didn't want to just preach another sermon, God, and even if it's a good sermon, I want it to be something, God, that is just a wake-up call for us all. That we let our light shine, Lord. Let her testimony be heard. In Jesus' name. If you need prayer this morning, I'm going to invite you to the altar. Maybe you just want to make a new commitment to God that you're going to do something different. I don't know. Whatever your needs are, though, this altar is a place where you can come and meet with Jesus. And there's people that have come around you. The Bible says if one sets a thousand to flight, come on, do the math. Two will set 10,000 to flight. So I can pray for something by myself, but it's good to have somebody just come beside you and just come in agreement with you. All right? If any two of you on earth agree as touching something, the Bible says, it'll be done to the Father, which is in heaven. There's power in agreement. So if you've got a need, you come and pray. There's people that's going to pray with you. And we'll just run the devil out of that situation, whatever it is. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hunter?
Every song. 
that name, Father. We pray, God, that you set at liberty those that are captive, Lord. Jesus, when you was here, you opened the book of Esaias. You said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to those that are captive, those that are in bondage, to set those that are in captivity and bondivity free. So, Lord, we ask that you do that today, God. You know who they are, Father. I pray, God, that you would just turn the light on in the hearts and lives of every person here, first of all, God. And then, Lord, out of that light, they will shine forth so that others that are in darkness may see and they can come out of the darkness. Lord, we pray for revival in America, God, and around the world. Bring revival, God. Bring it, Lord. God, you were, we saw you doing that in Ashbury, God, in the college there, and it broke out in other places, Lord. God, let the fire just continue to spread, Lord. Let it spread among this younger generation, Lord. They have been duped, God. They've been sold a lie. And Father, I pray as the light comes on and they realize that they've been sold a lie, Lord, they're looking for something. They're looking for, a, for a, a, something to be a part of. God, show them that you are that something that they're really looking for, God. And that they'll be a part of that, Lord. Bring revival, Father, I pray. In Jesus' name, Lord, help those of us, God, that are mature in the faith, God, to be an anchor for them, Lord, to help them, God, to support them. There's a place for the young. There's a place for the old. Amen? Yeah. A place for the young and a place for the old. Yeah. You're all needed. So, Father, just have your way. Now, Lord, we thank you for the day, God. We thank you for the word. God, I pray that it will just increase and grow. God, you said that you sow the seed, but if it falls on good ground, it will increase and grow. God, may it find fertile ground today. I pray in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, as we leave this place, I speak a blessing over the body of Christ, Lord, over every home that is represented here today. Before I close in prayer, let me, let me say one more thing. Last week I said, some of you may need to go have a, a house cleaning. All right? Go through your house. Things that doesn't bring glory to God, get it out of there. That's a good idea. But if there's a lot of stuff in your house, and I'm not saying it's condemned, you just, just think about this now. If there's stuff in your house that shouldn't be there, why is it there in the first place? And it won't do any good to have a clean house and a dirty heart. Because if the heart is clean, the house is gonna be clean. I'm not condemning anybody. I'm just saying, consider yourself. So I'm not going to just go through and clean stuff in my house, but my heart remains unchanged. Let's start right here. Clean my heart. And then when I see that, it's like, yuck. That, that, that's just yuck to my spirit. Then it'll go, Okay. So I bless you each Sunday. I speak a blessing over the, over the body of Christ, not just here, ever, around a body over, over the body of Christ, a blessing that your home will be a refuge. Because it should be a refuge. It's a safe place for you to go. Why? Because the presence of the Holy Spirit is there. That's the blessing that I speak over you. It'll be a place where the Holy Spirit is welcome, where he feels welcome. Why? Because there's, no, there's nothing there that would... Vex him. 
you see. And then strengthen the relationship between husbands and their wives. Why? Because the Bible says, lest your prayers be hindered. All right? I speak a healing over marriages that are struggling, over marriages that are broken. Come on, there's some, there's some people that, that I've just learned, it's, they're, they're actually divorced and they're working on it, trying to get back together. Restore it, God. Restore that union. Restore that covenant, God. Restore it. That's their heart's desire. That's what they want. Share children together. Come on, that's a good thing. Amen. Now, I'm not condemning you if you're divorced, remarried, or whatever. All of that's under the blood, okay? But I speak a blessing that you marriages will be strengthened. The relationship between husbands and wives. The relationship between parents and children. Why? Because the Bible says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, which is the first commandment with promise that your days will be long on the earth. Come on, I want you to live a long time. So I want parents and children to work it out. All right? I'm not just, I mean sincerely that blessing every Sunday. It's not just routine. I mean it. Strengthen the relationship between parents and their children and siblings one with each other. Why? Because the Bible says, if you say you love God who you can't see and you don't love your brother whom you can't see, you're a liar and the truth's not in you. Come on, if you can't love your brother and your sister, your biological brother and sister. So I speak that blessing that you strengthen the relationship between siblings, one with each other. And then I bless those who are walking their journey alone. I see you, mostly girls in here. Now I'm, I'm, I'm inviting godly young men to our church alright we're going to check you out make sure you're worthy of our young lady now okay but I see some of our young ladies walking around I'm like Lord just this morning just this morning I saw a young lady walk by I said I'm not making this up I said God there's a young man that's going to love her help her find him because she wants she wants that she wants a husband she wants children she wants a life And there's many of you who want that. I speak that blessing every Sunday. May those who are walking their journey alone find the person that God's got for them. All right? It's going to be a person of the opposite sex. Let's be clear on that. All right? Let's be clear on that. I mean that in kindness, but that's... Yeah. And then... If you are single and you're happy with that, the Apostle Paul said some of you can't do that. But some of you are like me. And you, you're, you're very happy as Jesus is your mate. So I say that Jesus, you be their comfort. You be their joy. In Jesus' name. Amen. Be blessed. I love you in the Lord. Go with God.